You're listening to the Electronic Media Collective Podcast Network. Yeah, it's a mouthful. For more great shows like the one you're about to enjoy, visit electronicmediacollective.com. And now, our feature presentation. In a world where film studios have pillaged every young adult novel, DC'd every comic book series, and Frankenstein every silver screen monster in search of the next movie mega franchise. Two nerds. Two movies. One cinematic universe. This is Jasper. And this is Randy. We watch two movies. And this is Jesse. And in the future, when Grolix creates sublocations, we'll make sure that they're not located in a floodplain. We watched two movies, and luckily we stayed dry through them. <laughs> you guys. So, listener, if you, you may have seen a little blip on your CNN tube or whatever it is you watch about all the flooding in the middle of the country where you may not live, we live there. <laughs> There's a lot of flooding. Jesse's, Jesse's town is now an island. Fake news. <laughs> Fake news. <laughs> no, it's it's real. We're on an island. Yeah, we are located, literally two of us are in Nebraska, one of us is in Iowa, and it has been flooded all over. Despite the fact that I live 1.17 miles away from a river, I am still dry. <laughs> That's Which awesome. Is, Good for you. kind of crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so, Jesse, you're not a usual voice on this podcast. I'm not? Oh, not you're, no, you're right. I'm not. Uh, why am I here? Well, you're here because we're going to talk about a movie you very much enjoy. That's true. That's true. I do. But before we get to that, what podcast are you from? And should the listener go listen to that in case they don't? I mean, no, you shouldn't. I mean, yes, you should. What's what's the right answer? This is why from the Grawlix podcast. This is why GCU is out outshining us right now. <laughs> this is the kind of quality that you guys uh, bring to the table. Um, yeah, the the Grawlix podcast. It's a it's a little show. It, it birthed this show. It's uh it's about comic books and really anything that we want to talk about. And we've been doing a lot of awesome interviews over there. Uh, you can find us at the same place you can find this great show, which is GrawlixPodcast.com. and you can hear oh. me talk every month about. All those those things, as as can you hear, uh, Randy and Melanie, which which are my awesome co-hosts and producer. Oh, I might have to check it out sometime. It's worth it. <laughs> it's so weird promoting Grolics over here. It, it's all it to me. I, I said this not long ago on Grolics. It might have been on a pre-show, but to me, it's all the same show. Right. Like it's just it's different flavors. This show tastes purple, but uh, it's different flavors of the same show to me, and I work on them. It's pretty much the same workflow. But GCU, and hello, listeners, especially listeners over on CastBox. CastBox, I believe CastBox.com, you can find both of our shows. Uh, GCU has kind of been taken off lately, so it's so strange that to see GCU like kind of start to... We're on the charts of Lithuania. We are. Yeah. <laughs> Hello, Lithuania. We've been on the charts, the iTunes charts, you know, somewhere in the top two, 300 for a while now. It blows my mind. We're worldwide. 
We're GCU worldwide now. But you should go if if you are only subscribed to us on our GCU feed, you should also go check out the Grolix podcast. It's good stuff. However, over here, we talk movies. Specifically, we talk two movies into one universe. Yeah, so and this is season 3. Uh we are doing season Tarantino. So it's all Tarantino. Well, basically, it's a Tarantino movie every episode, and then we'll match it with something. In this case, a not-so-tangentially connected Tarantino movie. So this episode, we'll be talking about Quentin Tarantino's second movie as a director, Pulp Fiction from 1994, and also the 1993 True Romance, which he wrote. Oh, from a year, just a year before. He wrote it. So 1993 True Romance. In Detroit, a lonely pop culture geek marries a call girl, steals cocaine from her pimp, and tries to sell it in Hollywood. Meanwhile, the owners of the cocaine, the mob, track them down in an attempt to reclaim it. Of course, written by Quentin Tarantino. Directed by Tony Scott. Stars Christian Slater, Patricia Arquette, Dennis Hopper, Val Kilmer, Gary Oldman, Brad Pitt, Christopher Walken, and Samuel Everyone in this movie is someone. Yeah. Right. I, it was a, there are like no minor characters that aren't people I've seen in a million other things. I was kind of amazed. I, honestly, that's how I found that movie originally was because of the cast list, because I was obsessed with uh, Christopher Walken movies and I saw he was in it. And then I like then I fell in love with the movie like as a whole. But yeah, it's pretty interesting. They must be the Miramax cast of regulars because there's a lot of people that show up in reservoir dogs that are, are show up in this, including Chris Penn as a officer towards the end. And there's also a lot of people that kind of show up in Pulp Fiction too. But now initially I was like, no, we probably won't do true romance because it wasn't directed by Tarantino. He wrote it. Maybe we'll go back and pick it up later, but we're for the most part hitting Tarantino movies in order of release that he directed. And then, listeners, if you check out the last episode of the Grolix podcast, it, for us, it just went up today when we're recording this. The very end of the episode, before the outro music, I cut it I cut it so that you don't get the whole conversation. But Jesse mentions his favorite is True Romance. And had I not cut it for the end of the episode, that conversation would have went on to say, I was like, that's the one we're not doing. And he said it so, dep- so, so upset. And I'm like, and I was like, you know what? Why aren't we doing it? We could just pair that with another Tarantino movie and it doesn't break the whole, my di- weird directorial rule. So I was like, all right, well, I don't have anything specific for Pulp Fiction. There's a ton of movies we could pair with this, but why not just throw true romance in now before we get too far away from the beginning of Tarantino's career and we'll have Jesse on. So Jesse... You love this movie, huh? I, I love this movie. You know, like, I think I like it for some of the same reasons that I like Pulp Fiction, which I know we'll get into later. But yeah, I think it's it's kind of like a proof of concept, you know, like knowing that mm-hmm. Tarantino wrote Pulp Fiction. It's like, this is where he can just bounce off his bonkers, bizarre ideas about like character vignettes going in different directions that slowly kind of coalesce into an actual storyline like later down the road this one's much more linear 
than Pulp Fiction, but I think you have a lot of similar elements. And uh, I don't know. I just like some of the really weird characterizations. Like they're they're hyper they're hyper something. I don't know. I mean, like they're hyperbolic, I guess would be the best way to say it. Like they're, Mm -hmm. they're archetypes of some sort. Each character is, but they get fleshed out in a weird cartoony Tarantino only Tarantino could have come up with way. For me, it's very interesting. This is only the second time I believe I've ever seen this. I want to say I've only ever seen this one other time. And that was many years ago. And I remembered liking it and I did like it upon this rewatch. But it's so weird to watch a movie that is clearly not directed by Tarantino, but the writing is, you can hear it like in the characters, every character is Tarantino, like as, and just the way after, while I was watching Pulp Fiction, I was, cause I rewatched Pulp Fiction after I rewatched this one, I was thinking about it and I'm like, you know, even the way a lot of the scenes are constructed, like this, the tension scenes and stuff where it's just like intense conversation and eventually it kind of builds up to an action thing but a lot of it is you know there's just long scenes of dialogue that manage to still be pretty tense and that's that is tarantino's bread and butter and it's really weird to see another director and this was directed by tony scott right mm-hmm. just so weird to see another director working with the same material and i think tony scott's directing in this is fine it's not bad it definitely made me appreciate Tarantino's directing though, because he just has <laughs> right. a much more stylized visual flair to his movies. That might've been good with this, but I mean, I think this still works. The music though, the music was a big thing. The music in this is fine, but that's one of the first giveaways. There's music in here, like the kind of weird, it kind of sells the movie as like kind of a comedy, that weird music during the first credits with the like, what do you call that? It's like xylophone or. Yeah. Yeah, wood yeah. bells I mean, or something it, it, it like it kind of sells the idea that this whole thing even though it's like this bizarre crime road trip movie is almost a fairy tale yeah yeah i see that even though it has to do with a hooker and uh this loser and some drugs <laughs> okay jasper yeah what did you think of this movie had you ever seen this before no, I have not. I actually don't even remember really hearing about this movie. <laughs> There's like some really gory parts, but uh Yeah, I, I suppose so. Yeah. Yeah. I I like the way that this that it kind of just it wasn't it wasn't too fast and it wasn't too slow. Mm-hmm. And it just it progressed very well. At first I didn't like Christian Slater's character. I thought he was pretty much a punk. Mm-hmm. And then it kind of seems like he knows, you know, he kind of puts it to where he like, you know, he knows his way to how to do things. He's feel you feel like he's done this for a while. And then, you know, trying to, he's like always kind of one step ahead of everything, but then it come, you know, just comes all crashing down. But I, I enjoyed this movie quite a bit. It's strange to me again. I, I, sh- I shouldn't do it, but I'm going to do a lot of the Tarantino comparisons it's strange to me because it feels like even though a lot of Tarantino characters are really kind of out there and, and over the top, these characters feel the most like other Tarantinos feel more grounded than these characters. Oh, by far. (laughs) Because Christian Slater's character, like he seems like kind of a, well, first off he's, 
Christian Slater. He's too good looking to be that like just dorky, really. But he seems pretty mellow and chill, but he's really kind of a homicidal maniac. And then <laughs> yeah. she's her flip falling in love and all like that stuff happens so fast, but it's not really the kind of movie where it matters, but I can't see Tarantino making this movie, but again, I, I hear him in all the writing and it's been so long since I seen this movie. I'd forgot the whole setup with her being, her being a prostitute and how they meet and all this. So before that little reveal, I'm just like, is this just Tarantino's like weird man fantasy where he, <laughs> he meets a some chick at a at a Sunny Chiba marathon and then takes her back and wows her by her, showing her the comic book store that he works in for a too little money and <laughs> this is and his Mary like, Sue project yeah and she's fallen in love with him I'm like what is this but then there's that little twist of course she does fall in love with him but the, there's that little twist like well no she was hired to be interested in him for the night. To be the entertainment. Yeah. Gary Oldman's character. I don't know where (laughs) to. They're such one note characters, you know, like I I think of this as like Tarantino got together with a bunch of guys and they just wrote random NPCs. Like if they were playing a D and D game, they were just like, what's the most bonkers NPCs that we could throw into this campaign. And they were like, nah, none of these work. Let's throw them all together in their own campaign. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. It is kind of like a movie of a movie comprised of side characters, but not in a bad way. Like I, I, I think it works. Oh. I think Drexel is my favorite character. Drexel, yeah. Oh, he's so funny. <laughs> he's one of my favorite Gary Oldman characters. I always get his character in this confused with his character in Leon the Professional. Oh yeah, but yeah. Aren't they similar in a way? Maybe he's not doing the like gangster thing. In <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, then, then this is the movie I always confused his character. Like when I think of Leon the professional, I think of Gary Oldman as this character. So I'm gonna have to rewatch Leon sometime. No oh, man, but another potentially problematic movie. But Gary Oldman's great in this. It's ridiculous. <laughs> he, he, he wanted his. He wanted his own movie for Drexel. He wanted Did he? Quit, yeah, he wanted Quentin Tarantino director. <laughs> I would watch. I would be there for that. I would watch that. I bet he's because he's chewing the scenery. He is just because he gets to be ridiculous and over the top and plays a very confused character. Like, you, seems, <laughs> you can feel how much he enjoys it. Like you can, yeah. it comes through. I think that's the most interesting thing about this is not even the characters so much as the performances of these characters. I feel like the the actors really had a lot of fun on this movie. That's true. All of them they also they do. They seem like they're having fun. They seem happy even when they're kind of intense characters. But I think of um what's his name? The Sopranos guy. I lost his name just a moment just now. Oh, uh god, now now I've got Tony Soprano in my head. Uh <laughs> you know, Tony Soprano. He's got a, was it a G? James Gandolfini. Gandolfini. Oh, man. His scene, yeah. And he's always kind of like, he's got that way where he's got like a mischievous smile, but kind of in an evil way, or or a smart smart smile, 
But even like throughout the really violent scene with him and uh, Patricia Arquette, Patricia Arquette, like he still seems like he's having fun. (laughs) Oh man, yeah. And that scene's brutal too. Like he's kind of jovial through most of it. No, no, it's hardcore. And yeah, some of this feels like Tarantino got to throw in some of the more like exploitation movie type tropes that he might not have even thrown in his own movie. Cause he's like that whole scene, like she's battered and in her bra, but when it turns, she's just, you got a bloody Patricia Arquette in like her shirt ripped off. So it's just her and her bra just wailing on this guy with a, uh, what was it? She was hitting him with at the end. It's like a, the shotgun was the back of a toilet or something. Oh, she, yeah. She hit him with the toilet. And then when she's beating him on top of him, she, it's the shotgun. Oh yeah. Oh Yeah. Yeah, if I remember right, they they wrote this one in 1988, and it was like a completely. They said they he wrote too long, and this is what he broke the script into this movie and Natural Born Killers. Really? Oh dang! I knew he had connection to Natural Born Killers. He was obviously like had this Bonnie and Clyde thing that he enjoyed. But yeah, he said they the trivia said that um he he had wrote the script so long that they turned turned it into two movies. That's funny. In ret- thinking about all of his future movies and in retrospect looking at Reservoir Dogs, Retro- Reservoir Dogs is actually really like very contained and very and short compared to all of his other movies. All right. of them are super long. Even Pulp Fiction was super long. And you could just imagine there's just a ton of stuff that he probably cut out of the scripts for every every single one. The dude just writes. Brad Pitt I love Brad Pitt. I love all these characters. Michael Rappaport. Rappaport. There's so many people. There's so many people. Brad Pitt's such a small part, but I think when I hear this movie mentioned, people always, well, Brad Pitt, he's a bit, (laughs) he's he's a tiny bit character and he's just playing like a stereotypical stoner. But yeah, this is one of like, this was an early Brad Pitt role. And uh, I don't know, for whatever reason, he's memorable. For me, it's mainly the condescend to me, man. I can kill <laughs> yeah. you, man. Yes, yes. That part, because his turn is like, he's so like, anytime, anytime any of the mobsters show up, show up asking like, we're so-and-so, he's so friendly. Oh, you just go over here and blah, blah, blah. But then as soon as they leave, it gets kind of serious. He's like, condescend to me, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we're all over the place on this review, but that's okay. This movie, I feel like, comes down to characters. And Pulp Fiction is very similar in that regard. But th- like I said, like these these are character vignettes. I like There is not a character in this movie that, that I don't think is, is fun in some way. Even, even Elliot Blitzer and Lee Donowitz. You know, like you think of Bronson Pinchot, and he th- these guys become linchpins later on in in the plot. But uh, like, and you you don't get lots of Lee Donowitz. Uh, he's the movie director guy who's got like the dailies for his basically apocalypse now type movie that he's making. Uh huh. And uh, Bron- Bronson Pinchot Coming home is in a the body bag. the guy that kind of hooks him up with the Hollywood types. Even those characters are are weird and fun. The majority of this movie is definitely played much more for comedy than a lot of Tarantino stuff. Right. So it's it's interesting. It's got a very strange tone. 
So what do you think, Jasper? Who's your favorite characters? Gary Oldman's guy. Drexel? Yeah, Drexel is my favorite. Chris Penn always is weird, but... He is weird, right? It seems like a strange guy. Yeah. The part I was really laughing about, too, that is the two cops, when they say they really like this guy because he's crazy. <laughs> Tom yes. Sizemore. Tom Sizemore. I, I, I worry for him in this movie. I know Tom Sizemore has had drug issues in the past. It seems like he might have been in the middle of them here. He is so amped up. This whole performance, he is just amped up. But he's very entertaining. And him listening to, because they wire up, what's his name? Is he Balky? Uh, uh, yeah, Elliot Blitzer. Okay. They wire up Balky because he's involved in this drug deal. And Christian Slater goes crazy on Balky in the elevator. And they're listening to him. And he's like, he's not going to kill him. He's not going to kill him. And then he's like, oh, he's going to kill him. And it's just this roller coaster ride. And the whole time the cops are listening in <laughs> and Tom Sizemore's just eating it up, just loving it. And like, oh, he's going to kill him. Holy crap, this kid's crazy. And then at the end, he's like, I love this kid. Like, yeah, it's <laughs> so like amped up and over the top. I'm like this, I think that cop is stealing the Coke they found on Balky. You need to look into this cop. <laughs> for sure, for sure. <laughs> Also, that scene where Balky gets pulled over, uh, just some random, like, he's driving with this lady, and uh, they're argue- he gets pulled over for speeding, and they're <laughs> arguing, and he's like, just take this. And he's got this huge bag of cocaine he's trying to hand off to her, and she's like, I'm not taking it. I'm not taking it. And of course, he's in a convertible, and by the time the cop actually walks up to the door, the bag is exploded in his face, so he's covered in cocaine. But I'm just like... <laughs> It's so over the top, but man, it's funny. And you, you see it coming, but, and it's so weird. There is some hardcore violence in this. And like, if you break down what happens in the story, it's not really a happy story, but it's still fun. Con- like continuously through the whole thing. And it's got this weird, happy, bouncy fairy tale vibe throughout the whole thing. Yeah. Especially that one, that one song that keeps playing. Mm-hmm. Like very islandy, I want to say, or yeah, yeah, that exactly. It is, it is islandy. Even though they're not in any islandy, I guess maybe at the end, spoilers, but they're not in any islandy settings. Dennis Hopper, let's let's do it. I let's love, go there. I love Dennis Hopper. This is my, it's my favorite scene, and it it shouldn't be. <laughs> it really should not be. It is the most problematic scene. Of the movie, but I understand why it's your favorite scene because it's like so well acted and Walken is great. Walken is great through this whole scene. They're both, I mean, and they're both really good. I mean, Dennis Hopper is, is a weird actor for me in that he is one of those characters that is kind of like Morgan Freeman. He's kind of like Sam Elliott. I could listen to Dennis Hopper tell a story about anything. It's like a seedier version of them. <laughs> oh, there is. It's it's a terrible story. It's horrible. He's saying terrible, horrible things, and yet it's he he's captured my attention. Like I'm watching, I'm watching him say these horrible things. I I like walking in this, and like Pulp Fiction, he's only in one scene. Right, Sh- shows up for a day, and he's so walking. Yeah. Man, it's been a while since I watched like you know a. a 
at this point, older walk-in movie where he's like, it is prime walk-in, you know? This may be a hot, this may be a hot take, but I prefer this performance by Christopher Walken over the one that we get in Pulp Fiction. And I know Pulp, that like people love that performance in Pulp Fiction. But for me, it's a very vanilla Christopher Walken. The only thing that's special about it is that he's reciting Tarantino's script, which is perfect when it comes out of Walken's mouth. But I prefer this performance. I would, I would actually, I would agree with you. And this is going to go against, this is going to totally go against what I said earlier in this review. His character feels more real and grounded in this versus his character in Pulp Fiction is a punchline. Like he's a means to a joke. Right. And in this, he feels like a character actually inhabiting the scene. Yeah. And there's also like little good, good little details. He's like, I haven't killed anyone since 1980. 1984 or something like that. Like he's upset about how it's went. <laughs> Except apparently they, he broke his streak of not killing people, but, uh, <laughs> just get a shirt. It says not killed tonight. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like no workplace accidents in how many days. <laughs> yep. But no, you're right. He feels more natural, more in the character skin in this. I will say, I guess it makes sense once, at least once they're in Hollywood or wherever, LA, but it gets ridiculous at the point which every character, almost every character is a pop culture obsessed movie fan. And that's how they all reference the world around them all the time. Sure. But I think that's just kind of a Tarantino thing, kind of a nineties thing. It's real heavy in this movie. They're all like into like William Shatner's performance and TJ Hooker. <laughs> Is it Rappaport who's uh, doing auditions for that? For like, yeah, for like the new new TJ Hooker. Yeah, the new TJ Hooker. Oh, that's right. It's, a, it's supposed to be a reboot or something. Uh huh. Oh my god. I do like how they use that where they set it up to where you expect things to go badly, like, and not that they go good for most characters. But they go good for the characters you want them to go good. You want it to go well for. But they set up the thing where just before they leave to do the deal, he's like, I got the job or I got the I got the role. So you're like, no, he's dead. He got the role he was <laughs> yeah. wanting. He's dead. But no, he, he again, spoilers, he gets out of it. The whole Mexican standoff thing at the end. Again, great. Yeah. Ridiculous. But it's just like so many bullets. Busted. So many Cops. bullets. Oh, yeah. And I like that the couch is sh- just shredded to where it's just a pile of feathers at the end. And they're just <laughs> the one cop got shot and he just sits down and he's sitting in this huge pile of feathers. And yeah, that's pretty interesting. Jasper, what do you think of Elvis? I was trying to figure out who that was. It's supposed to be Elvis. Right? Yeah. Yeah. That's what they said. Did you know who played him? That Val- was Val Kilmer. Val Kilmer. Yeah, it was... I liked that. I mean, I wish they would have kind of went more on why, like he sees him like that or something. But this one—I don't think this will mean anything to you, Jasper. But to me, Jesse, this always reminds me of Preacher. Oh, in the case of Preacher, it's it's John Wayne, right? Listener, if you haven't seen True Romance, this none of this conversation means anything. Oh to my I god! Apologize. This 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 movie's so bonkers. You you have to have seen it to understand even a word of it. Christian Slater occasionally, and it's only like 
three scenes, maybe two scenes that it happens has, I guess you could call it an imaginary friend, but it's Elvis. You never see his face. So it's super interesting that it's Val Kilmer in the role. You never see his face, but it's Elvis who shows up occasionally, usually when he's in the bathroom by himself, like giving himself a pep talk and he has this conversation with him. He's trying to like, you know, talk him to being confident basically but he's also talking him into murdering people and doing <laughs> yeah, horrible yeah, things like he's not a good influence needs to be done he didn't have to go kill drexel right i think mm-hmm. they would have been fine maybe maybe not maybe they maybe he would have came come after uh patricia arquette's character alabama but he didn't have to do that he was mad that like she, he there's he's seen, sounded like this despicable guy that she was involved with, so he went and he went with the intention of killing this guy. Yeah, we didn't even really get into some of these characters. Like we we've espoused our love for Drexel, but we haven't explained him. But I don't know how you explain him. So he's Gary Oldman. He's Gary Oldman. Yeah, but he 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 acts it as if his character thinks he is a black guy and a gangster. That's how he plays the role to the point where he calls Christian Slater white boy constantly. Yeah. What is this white boy doing in here? It's oh, like, he must have thought it was white boy day. It's not, <laughs> oh, that's and it. And then he turns to somebody. He's like, hey, it's not white boy day, is it? No, I didn't think so. <laughs> it's ridiculous. He's got like dreads. It's so strange. He's got like caps on his teeth. So he's got quite the grill. Samuel Jackson, small role. It's a tiny bit part. One scene, he shows up and he's like has some type of dealing with, with Drexel and some other guy, and Drexel turns on him and blows him away with a shotgun, and that's Samuel's role. So it's like, okay, wow, yeah, yeah, just throw a bunch of people in here. Is I don't know. Is they really just filled every role with just you know somebody who's known. It feels like a playground. Like all these people just came to play. Yeah, they said in the in the trivia that. The director told Gary Oldman, he said, you're a, you're a white guy who's trying to be black. And he didn't even show him the script. Gary Oldman said he was in. He's like, I'm in. I'll play him. Oh, oh. I don't know. Oh. <laughs> like we were talking, like the fight scene with her and her and the mob guy. Looking through the trivia to this movie was crazy. So like in that scene... And any scene where she was like a fighter, she had the director come up and just slap the crap out of her. Like one slap, just whap to get to, to persuade her, her role. So she, there was scenes where she'd call for the persuader to come in and, and persuade her to, to so let's do just come up and slap her. Tony, come slap me. <laughs> Patricia Arquette's, I'm so conflicted on her as an actress or as an actor. She's good, but she's so she's very strange, and yeah. she chooses weird roles. I mean, like Alabama is a weird role for her. She's she's a weird character because she's a nutbag too. Yeah, I don't know. She doesn't really show it that often, but when she finds out Christian Slater's characters went and killed this guy, she's like, oh, "That's the sweetest thing anybody's <laughs> ever done." It's like, wait, what? <laughs> she's messed up. And Christian Slater's okay in this. I, I'm not a huge fan of Christian Slater, but this is like, this is kind of Christian Slater. I don't know what Christian Slater prime would be. It feels like maybe more early 80s when he was younger, but this is still like a young Christian Slater. Right. He's sort of slipping into obscurity at this point, 
but he's still a name. Like people know who he is. I mean, people still know who he is now, but not like they did back then. And, and he's still got like the Christian Slater. Like he's got charm for sure. He looks like he could pump up the volume. <laughs> we talked about it a bit in the pre-show. Do we want to talk about the problematic aspects of Jesse's favorite scene? Or do we just not <laughs> want to touch it? Or just the movie in general. I mean, there's plenty of problematic things, but that is the the biggest one for sure. Yeah, there's some there's some racist stuff in here. And part of it's like No, nah, we don't have to get into it. This, we got into it in a pre show. You wouldn't be able to get away with would you be able to get away with Drexel? Drexel now, especially now? Yeah. I don't know. For whatever reason, that almost seems like a slightly harder sell than some of the outright racism yeah. in in this and like Pulp Fiction because it's, you know, it's appropriation, but oh yeah, it's appropriation that's kind of played for laughs and maybe that makes it more problematic. But then again, watching it, we are entertained by it and it doesn't strike me as uncomfortable as some of the racist stuff. So I don't know, man, I don't really know. It's hard because of the comedy aspect, you know, comedy blurs the lines. When it's done right. Not that it's played for laughs, like, ha oh, belly, big belly laugh, but it's definitely a choice that was made because it's ridiculous. Right. It's, a, it's like a nervous laughter. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, and it's ridiculous. I mean, yeah, it's comedy across the board. It's, it's got to be. But I think it would be kind of hard to pull off right now, for sure. Yeah. But... I mean, you know, those guys are out there, so. Ratings. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Jasper, I want to lead with you because I'm very curious because I know I've seen, your, I've seen your Pulp Fiction rating already, but I do not know your rating on this. This movie kind of at first was weird. It kind of started slow for me. And I was kind of catching on to what, you know, it was kind of how it's progressing. Mm-hmm. The That scene, the Sicilian scene was... You know, at first I almost kind of lost me, but then I was like, oh, okay, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> walking is just, it's probably in real life nuts, but <laughs> <laughs> no, I like, I just like the, they'd get a step ahead and all, you know, and then something would happen and I loved the Slater's role. I loved Drexel's the whole, I was just, I was laughing so hard that whole part. Okay. And I didn't know that was actually Gary Oldman until I like right at the end of it. Really? Yeah. I didn't, I was like, where is Gary Oldman in this movie? And I was like, oh wait, that is him. And then the whole shootout at the end was like over the top, but it was just kind of crazy how it all happened. They're all yelling. Yeah. If they're all yelling to, sh- you know, drop their weapons. And there's that one really weird blonde guy. He's like, I never told you that I hate pigs, you know. <laughs> The bodyguard, yeah, who really is like his boss is like, dude, put the gun down. What are you doing? He's like, no. He's like, no, I'm going down. You know, like <laughs> then the end, like you know, they kind of their life has moved on. With that said, like I said, the, the at first it was slow, but then I I really really enjoyed this movie, so I gave it I gave it a five out of five. Ooh, wow! So awesome. This is actually one of the only movies I thought 
uh, rewatch again. Really? Yeah. I'm impressed. How about you, Jesse? Oh man, I'm rethinking my stars. Uh, I I love this movie, and uh, like I obviously I've watched it over and over and over. And even when I was prepping for this show, I told my wife Holly that we were going to watch these two movies, and uh, she actually she actually wound up watching a little bit of Pulp Fiction with me. But uh, this was the movie she wanted to rewatch with me. It just didn't work out that she was going to be able to rewatch it because she she likes this movie better than Pulp Fiction as well. That being said. And and there are parts that I love about this movie. I I can't, I don't know. I, I guess maybe it's comparison bias. I can't say it's a full five stars for me, even though it, it's one of my favorite movies. I think it's just a, not quite up to snuff, especially when you stack it right next to Pulp Fiction. So burying the lead, I'd give this a 4.5. Okay. Yeah, I enjoyed this quite a bit. I think it's a fun movie. There's some, I think there's some, definitely some standout scenes. Uh, there's, there's some good performances. It seems like everyone's having fun. Like we said, it's interesting. It'd been so long that I, since I had first watched it, this was almost like a first time watch. There's a lot of stuff I didn't remember. So I didn't remember how the end played out. Um, so I was invested and it's got a more or less happy ending and it's, but it's one of those movies where I'm like, yeah, good. Um, <laughs> So I was, they had me, I was along for the ride. It's way better than a lot of movies. I think a lot of comparable movies from the time for sure. Tarantino's writing is good and having Tarantino's writing without Tarantino's directing is kind of a negative for me, but even Tarantino's writing, I think is a bit much. It's a little too Tarantino. It's a little too cutesy in times at times everyone's pop culture obsessed in this movie. And it's just like, it's a little, it's a little much, it's a little much. It's like, okay, come on, come on. But so it's not perfect is what I'm saying. Right. And Christian Slater and Patricia Arquette are both good in it. Neither of them are my favorite actors. I'm not super fond of either of them. I don't hate them, but you know, they're, they're okay. I think they're good in this movie. I think they do well. I'm just not, you know, super fond of either of them. So I'm going to go four stars. Super solid still. Right. But it's not a five-star movie for me. And fortunately, I watched this before rewatching Pulp Fiction because I... T- and I try not to do it, but comparison bias, I totally get it. So... Yeah. Yeah, four stars. And that's not to say that I wouldn't watch... Tr- I probably watch True Romance more than I watch Pulp Fiction. I mean, like, it's 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 a rewatchable movie by far. Uh I agree with Jasper on that a thousand percent, but I don't know. For me, this is like the epitome of like cult movie. It's one of those movies that, like you said, nobody knows about this movie. There's a reason. (laughs) There's a reason nobody knows about this movie, but it's, it's worth watching. It's super fun, but it's not perfect. Like, like, like it has some memorable moments and it's a good movie and it's very fun. But it's doesn't have the hook that you know some other movies have. It hasn't like it's still around. Like I was able to find it was I think this might have been the one that's on Crackle. Crackle. Yeah, that's yeah. So it's still around. You can stream it, but it's on Sony's free uh, <laughs> streaming yeah. service. Yeah, so yeah. it's like not. It's not. It's it's still remembered, but it's not top tier. And at least in terms of like you know, 
demand for it. But yeah. It was fun to revisit it though. I'm glad. I'm glad we I'm glad you mentioned it, Jesse. I'm glad we I mean I don't know what I'm gonna do for cinematic universe spoiler, but I'm glad we <laughs> worked it into it into the season this early. Spoilers, I I had to whittle down my my uh universes because there's like too many options. Good. Okay, good. And I went with the most left field characters I could. So I'm excited. I'm excited to mash these up. Nice. Jesse's inevitably going to send me the message later. He's like, I feel like I'm I was talking over J- Jasper. He didn't He didn't say anything. I'm, <laughs> and I'll tell him. I'll tell him now before he even sends me the message. Jasper looks like he's about to straight fall asleep. Uh, I'm sorry. Last, Do we record at what time last time? Not super late, but it was kind of late. It was 2 o'clock in the morning. Oh, well, that was... You were falling asleep that time, too. No, the last episode we didn't record quite that late, but we recorded remote and you were more with it. But you seem very tired today. Like, I'm awake, but my body is like... Like, my mind's awake, but... <laughs> my mind's awake, but my eyes, ears, and mouth but are my body. <laughs> but my body. My body's telling me, go to sleep! <laughs> my, All right. My tongue is sleeping. Ha! 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 That's from the song. It's in Pulp Fiction. Yeah. So from from the writer's desk to the director's chair. Next up, we will be discussing Pulp Fiction from 1994. Pulp Fiction was written and directed with story by Quentin Tarantino. And also, story credit goes to Roger Avery. Starring everyone in Hollywood. Yeah. Uh, John Travolta. I mean, this is like... This put a lot of people back on the map or on the map for the first time. That's exactly it. I think it put a lot of people back on the map for sure. John Travolta. uh, This is a total sidetrack. I'd seen a... It's so good. I'd seen a tweet, random tweet on Twitter where you see tweets uh, not long ago. And it was somebody talking about um, the movie... What's it called? Mandy. They were tweeting about the movie Mandy, which stars Nicolas Cage. And they said, although Cage's career never, I mean, he's done a lot of junk, but I think it's not, I think it's because he's not good with money, but his Cage, Cage's career never really went away. He's always been doing stuff. In fact, if you'd asked me, I would have assumed his career was going to die in the nineties. And somehow like he became a leading action star after that. It's amazing. But their tweet was Nicholas Cage, you know, Mandy kind of reinvigorated, or reinvented Nicolas Cage's career, what do you think, you know, John Travolta should find a Mandy. <laughs> and somebody and somebody bought, somebody beat me to it. I was going to reply. And as soon as I hit comment, like it was one of the first ones, is like, he did. It was called Pulp Fiction. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then, I was like, oh, you beat me to it, man. Yeah. But uh, this, John Travolta's career was like dead. Yeah. And this totally like relaunched it. Yeah, he, he had worked for Years after that, I mean, mm-hmm. he's still he's still working now. I mean, so is Nick Cage, but yeah, he he had a lot of big <laughs> hits uh, after this movie. Sorry for that aside. So John Travolta, Samuel L. Jackson, Uma Thurman, Bruce Willis, Ving Rhames, Harvey Keitel, Eric Stoltz, Tim Roth, Amanda Plummer, Christopher Walken. Rosanna Arquette, Peter Green, 
Phil Lamar. Just just all the people. Yeah. Overview. A burger-loving hitman, his philosophical partner, a drug-addled gangster's mall, and a washed-up boxer converge in this sprawling, comedic crime caper. Okay, so Pulp Fiction. I know what we're going to do. I've seen this. Jesse, you've seen this. Oh, yeah. Jasper. Yes. Had you ever seen Pulp Fiction before? As I always say, bits and pieces. This, again, was when Jasper wasn't allowed to watch movies like this. Because I was too young. This is the reason we're doing Tarantino this season. Because my mind was blown back on GCU number 20 when I found out you had never seen Kill Bill. And then my mind was extra blown when I found out you'd never... Kill Bill, okay, I get it. It's it's a bit more poppy. It's fine. You, can, you know, whatever. You hadn't seen Kill Bill. Pulp Fiction is cinema history. So I was blown away that you hadn't actually properly seen this movie. I, that that pretty much kicked off that whole outtake episode that they mm-hmm. really love in Lithuania. You're loving that outtake. <laughs> You're loving it. I just like to point out that my favorite bakery is the Lithuanian bakery here in town. Is it? Just thought I should say yeah. Shout out to the Lithuanians. So, no, that GCU episode 20 outtake is our most listened to GCU and Grolix podcast, most listened to episode in the last many months. And I'm like, what? Why? <laughs> I might have found a better outtaker. I'm literally the just case. sitting there listing off movies to you. I know. It wasn't even like, in theory, I was like, yeah, this will be a fun little bit. It's not even that fun. It's just me like, yeah, no, that movie's not great. Yeah, no, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, you know, anyway. Jasper, now that you've seen it, what did you think of Pulp Fiction? This one was weird for me because I didn't get the, I want to say the layout of the movie. Why I kept moving, you know, across kind of what I felt like timelines. Did you not know it did that? Well, because I think I had had looked away when they did the first title change. Mm -hmm. And I was like, where are we now? I, I, for some reason, the biggest thing I fell in love with this movie is Samuel L's character. Oh, yeah. And, like, just, the dude is, like, a killer, but he is so calm. I liked him and Travolta together, and then the kind of love story between Travolta and Uma was, you know, pretty good. It was weird to see where a lot of memes and a lot of references have been in that movie. Oh, yeah. You know, like, it's just... It's got to be so strange. Well, maybe not. But it, to me, it seems like it'd be so strange to revisit something like Pulp Fiction decades removed. It influenced movies. It influenced pop culture. It's The Travolta like confused meme is still going around how many years after the movie came out. Like, that's a fairly recent meme even. Yeah. Like, it's so it's been so influential. So it's got to be like one of those things where... Did you have a lot of moments where you watch it and you're like, oh, okay, that's where that come from. Although although I looked it up before, it, the, the Travolta looking around thing, I didn't know that was from Pulp Fiction mm. until I was like, okay, I got to look this up and see where it's from. Mm-hmm. The English, English do you speak it line. My brother loved that one because he always used it on me if I skipped up on a sentence. But it was, again, another crazy, like, moving movie. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite scenes was when 
that kid comes out of the bathroom and shoots at him and doesn't even hit any. Uh-huh. And they're like looking around on their body to see if they got hit. I think Tim Roth, I thought he'd have a little bit bigger part. I thought they would kind of extrapolate on that, that those two a little bit more. No, him and uh, Honey Bunny. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they're just like bookends. They're in the bookend scenes of the movie. The beginning mm-hmm. and the, the first and the last scenes. He doesn't even have a name. His name is Pumpkin. In most, is it? Uh, in most cast, uh, like you look at like IMDb, he's he's referred to as Pumpkin. That's funny. Yeah, and then there's just really some really screwed up scenes in this movie. Yeah, like the whole basement scene with the pawn shop owner is uh-huh. just yeah, yeah. This movie, it's so funny. Like rewatching it. I mean, I've seen I've I always rewatch the movie for movie for the podcast. But I was like, and I wanted to rewatch this. Because it had been a long time. But I've seen this movie so many times, I probably could have got away with not rewatching it. I know this movie front to back. Or front to a little ways in, then jump back and go a little ways in, then jump back <laughs> yeah. and go a little ways in. But this movie kind of exploded audiences' minds when it came out. I remember this movie was huge. And, you know, people were like, yeah, the pawn shop. Oh, the pawn shop. The gimp. The gimp. Like, yeah. It kind of blew people away. With the music, everything about this movie. Uh-huh. It's got such an identity. And that's a little bit of what I was saying with Reservoir Dogs. It's got the same thing, just not so extreme. It's just got such a clearly defined identity, the movie itself. Like the music, the look of it, the tone of it, the how it's constructed from start to finish. It's just like such an identity. And it there's so many kind of like little moving parts. There's, you know, there's the three stories and characters between the three intermingle and there's so many moving parts and even like you look at the music and it's cohesive but very different like the different pieces of music but it's still all glues together right and it seems like the kind of movie that could easily fall apart or become disjointed and just not really mesh but it doesn't it all just it's packaged well Jesse yes. what are your thoughts on Pulp Fiction? I uh yeah, I don't know what to say. It's it kind of broke all the rules and rewrote them. You know, I mean, that's basically what you you have already said. But uh, yeah, I mean, well, I guess when I, when I first when I first watched it, I I think this is a movie that really improves on multiple viewings because my first impression was like, you know, it got a lot of hype. And and this is I don't think it won any Academy Awards, but it was nominated like seven times. I don't know if it won anything. I don't think it won an Academy Award, which is which is a shame because I I put this up there with any Academy Award winners. It just the fact that it relaunched careers is, is just one aspect of how great this movie kind of is. You know, like. I kind of alluded to it in our true romance uh, talk. It's kind of like true romance took an idea and played with it. This movie took that idea and mastered it. And I'm not even a hundred percent in love with the jumping back and forth in time dynamic in a movie, but in Pulp Fiction, I will forgive it a hundred, a hundred percent because the way that it bookends is so satisfying. Mm-hmm. So Pulp Fiction, and of course it won lots of other awards, like uh, I think Tarantino won the Palme d'Or 
or however they pronounce it for director, but it won best original screenplay, Tarantino and Roger Avery. Oh, it was, so it did get an Oscar for the screenplay. Okay, good. So, and then like you said, it was nominated for a bunch of stuff. Best picture, best actor for, this is so strange to me. Best actor, I guess it makes sense. Travolta does have a bigger role. Best actor for John Travolta, nominated. Best supporting actor for Samuel L. Jackson, nominated. Best supporting actress for Uma Thurman. Best director nomination and best film editing nomination. I guess I don't think about it. I mean, Samuel L. Jackson is much, his character is much more memorable to me. And like, he's just cool. I feel like he's the heart of the film, really. If you're going to pull like a character who has like development and you know, if you're going to pull any kind of profound meaning out of the movie, you're getting it through his character. Right. But Travolta does actually have quite a bit of screen time. He is one of the main characters. And he's a really good character. So Travolta. Mm-hmm. I mean, I hate his character and I'm not a big fan of Travolta, but it's, it is good. He's good in it. It's, and it's an interesting character. I just say I hate his character because like he's a, a heroin. I'm assuming it's heroin. I don't know yeah, what yeah. all drugs you shoot up. But it was uh, heroin. He's a heroin addict. I guess maybe he's maybe it's maybe he's not addicted. Maybe it's manageable. But anyway, he's a heroin using like dirtbag hitman. So he's not like I'm not super fond of him. But and a pretentious one at that. <laughs> yeah, but he's entertaining. Oh yeah. I always remember, and I don't know how accurate this is, but I always remember that hearing Travolta didn't want to do the role uh, huh. because he. He was nervous about playing a junkie. He's like, this is going to ruin my career. What are you talking about? And, and supposedly, this is, I don't know, hearsay that I heard from someone probably 17, 8 to 20 years ago. Supposedly, his agent's like, your career's kind of over. You need to take this role. <laughs> <laughs> when thank goodness he did, you know? Yeah. I mean, maybe that's not true. But if it is, his agent's on point, And I hope he got a raise because, yeah, this worked. I find his character most likable for the kind of through most of the Uma Thurman bit. Mm-hmm. He's he's interesting to watch through that because he, I'm assuming he's he's his character's high, but he seems kind of dumb, to, like just in a slight stupor through most of that. Yeah, their dance scene is so ridiculous. They just they chew the scenery in their scenes. It's so crazy. Mm-hmm. And they do that whole. I mean, like. Okay, so like this this is a thing I wanted to, to point out between the two movies because we kind of mentioned it in True Romance how it's kind of like nonstop dialogue in uh, in True Romance and that's what kind of hooks us, but and, and that's what that's what uh, Tarantino is known for is his dialogue. You know, like he he's known for that. It's kind of a spastic, energetic, uh, whatever you know, impassioned delivery of whatever it is the topic that that they're supposed to deliver but in pulp fiction he nailed some weird silences that are just as engaging and i think that's what really pushes this movie into the next level for me is that not only does he build tension with dialogue he also builds tension with silences in in ways that still keep you watching no, you're totally right. I mean, I, and Uma Thurman has that whole like the awkward silence talk, but 
One scene I've always liked, and I don't know why, because there's just nothing happening, but it's following Bruce Willis to his apartment. Yeah. When he goes back oh, to get the watch. Oh, yeah. I love that. I was totally engaged in that. And and just the his, man, uh, this is a time when uh, Bruce Willis was still accepting direction. And you can tell because he's so good in that scene. Like, you're just like, you smug. You, uh-huh. you have no reason to be smirking, but you just think you got away with it. You're making Pop-Tarts. Making Pop-Tarts. <laughs> I noticed Vincent goes to the bathroom several times in this movie. Yeah, he's got a real bladder problem, man. <laughs> he's He goes to the bathroom like three times in this movie. And it's weird because I don't remember other characters going to the bathroom in most movies ever. <laughs> it's just not a thing. He's always going to the bathroom. Ultimately, it's his undoing. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is for sure. This is a little spoiler on my rating, but watching this almost kind of made me wish I rated Reservoir Dogs slightly lower. Oh, yeah. And that comes into the problem of like comparison. But it's like this takes on a lot of aspects of Reservoir Dogs that I think are are great because Reservoir Dogs is almost entirely, not entirely, but almost entirely dialogue driven. Pulp Fiction, for the most part, is almost entirely dialogue driven, except it's like that plus the Reservoir Dogs is good, but the directing in Pulp Fiction and just the the vision of it, like it's just that much better. There are fantastic sequences that work. It's just they're quiet sequences building tension, and it's it's great. And then there's interesting choices of when we first see Bruce Willis's character. It's that long scene where the camera's just locked on him, where Ving Reams is talking to him, but we don't see Ving Reams till like the end of the conversation. It's just locked on Bruce Willis's face as he's watching and off screen being reams, give him the speech. And it's like, that's such an interesting decision. That decision alone is like, makes you like builds mystery. Like, wait, what, who, what's going on? Who's telling him this? And yeah. So much more compelling than if we were staring at, you know, Vin reams. Yeah, exactly. Like he took, like, that's not even a conversation. Most of it's just being reams, giving him a speech. It's, Tarantino obviously likes to write speeches and monologues and characters having dialogue, but then he can actually film it without it being boring. It's not, he can even take one single shot, one single nonstop lockdown take, but the fact of focusing on the person who's not talking makes it, makes it work so much better. And he clearly knows the talent that he has because like, that's a perfect thing for uh, Bruce Willis to do. He he knew. Sit there it's look, like he knew. Sour. It's like when he casted that, he's like, I know that I need Bruce Willis because I want someone that just does not care when I'm shooting the scene. Jasper, you mentioned the jumping around, jumping back and forth. Yeah. And it's not groundbreaking, but I guess maybe in mainstream movies at that time, it kind of was. I mean, last episode we talked about the killing, which is, I suspect a little bit where Tarantino picked that up from, because I know the killing was a big influence and the killing does the exact same thing. It's pretty close where it'll jump back, but the killing's focused on a certain event that it jumps around, but it's very similar. And this takes it to an extreme to where Vincent dies towards the middle of the movie but he's in the last scene of the movie. Right. You know, just stuff like that. You see you see Jules and Vincent in their like goofy outfits towards the beginning of the movie, 
well before you find out like why they're wearing shorts and a t-shirt, you know, just little things like that are fun and interesting to jump around and incorporate characters in that to where you're like, wait, what's, what's going on over there? Eventually you find out. What did, what did you think of the role, role of the wolf? Harvey Keitel? It's a, th- it's a 30 minute drive. I'll be there in 10, nine he minutes drove. and 37 <laughs> seconds later. <laughs> yes. He drove hella fast. Uh huh. The wolf is fun. Um, Harvey He's the Keitel's most true great. romance character in this thing. Yeah, you're right. He is. He's kind of a cartoon character of a, like, the ultimate, like, I don't know, the fixer, the cleaner, yep. or whatever they would call him. I was about to say the cleaner. Yeah. Kind of feels like, well, he's probably, like, just a cool idea for a character that Tarantino had or seen in another movie, but Harvey Keitel was good for it. It's just, like, fast talker, you're in control, everyone respects you, Go. <laughs> I was like, all right, I got this. Yeah. Yeah. I, I enjoyed it. What did you think? I was weird. Cause I thought he was going to come in and like, just start like basically cleaning house, but actually he kind of clean, cleaned ha- a house. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that whole scene was weird. Cause I was like, why are they so scared of his wife? Like, is she some like crazy gangster? Or something? you know, I like it though. I like it because I don't know. So just something to give them like, a countdown, I guess, you know, to, to increase the, uh, tension. I just, I like that when they're on the phone too. And he's like, he's like, I just want you to tell me that it's going to be all right. And you have a guy on the way. He's like, well, I, the situation is going to be all right. I do have a guy on the way. Yeah. He just repeats it. I have, it would be a wolf and wait for the wolf. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you send the wolf. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's already got a built in mystique. Tarantino's good at writing super cool dialogue and the right people can deliver it very well. Sometimes there'll be people in his movies that don't deliver it quite as well. And it's just like, I get it. It's kind of cool, but it doesn't really work so well. But like somebody like Samuel L. Jackson, it doesn't matter what you feed him. He can deliver it. And, uh, and Ving Reams for that matter, just like low voice Ving Reams, like super cool. Oh, I'll tell you what now. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Just, so good that scene holy cow because again that's another scene where they're like there is dialogue but there's these pregnant pauses and they're just kind of standing there in this transfixed moment oh man ving reams is just staring at the guy yeah on the ground just like like you get the feeling where if butch had just like walked out or hadn't said anything he'd have just stood there for like 20 minutes staring at the guy just reeling, you know. I like how he asked it. He's like, "So are we cool?" Or <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You get the you get the impression that uh, that Bruce Willis is still scared to death of him. Oh yeah, oh yeah, for sure. I mean, cause he doesn't let go of that sword. No, <laughs> I like his decision to go down and save him. It's like the most selfless thing that character does. It could be justified in that, like he's then like, well are we cool? Like, you know, I saved you. Are we cool? But he, or he could have just left him down there and he probably had never seen him again. Right. So you're right. He wants to leave, but he's just like, man, that ain't right. That's just not right. I, even though he was about to shoot, blow his head off, you know, five minutes prior, he's still like, I can't leave him down there in that situation. How much of that scenario were you familiar with 
like in reference to this movie. Cause I don't know how much the gimp and all that is referenced anymore, but that was all over. There's so many references to that whole scene. I'm about to get medieval. Yeah. Yeah. None. None Really? Yeah. So how much did all that blow your mind? Uh, What were you thinking? (laughs) I bet. I I remember it blowing my mind. I just, I just sat there with just mouth agape. I was like, What's going on here? Like, <laughs> where did this movie change? The gimp who has no role other than he, just to have a guy in a gimp suit. They they tie him up and then he doesn't do anything. And then he gets knocked out. I'm assuming he like probably strangles hanging there. What was the point of him? There was no point. I was kind of like, he's just like, he's like trying to scream to this. So what did, what did, yeah, what was he supposed to do? Just oh, throw weird. it into that next level of like really unsettling uh, uncomfortableness. <laughs> mm-hmm. So let's see the main stories. There's, there's Butch and the, wa- Oh, the watch. Let's talk. Walk. I was going to say, I was going to say, uh, you, you mentioned it. So Jesse, I would agree with you. Walking in this does feel more like vanilla walking. Whereas walking in true romances seems like more of a, <sighs> more interesting. What? sophisticated he's yeah he's a more interesting character he seems more like a more like an actual like a uh three-dimensional character versus this walk-in who's it's just really there to deliver a punchline yeah it's a more engaging performance you feel even though it's a really short scene you feel like you get more angles to that character whereas this one and the the funny thing is this when you think about like uh watershed chris walk-in moments a lot of people this is the one that they that they snap to like oh yeah chris walken i loved him in pulp fiction which is interesting and again he's just in the one scene although i i'm pretty sure this is a much shorter scene than he got in true romance yeah but something that struck me is how the scene's handled because he tells this story and it gets you know kind of more and more intense at the beginning, you know, he stands there or he like crouches down or kneels down or whatever. He's talking to young, young, what was it? Young Butch, Bruce Willis's character as a kid, telling him the story about his father and POW camp and all this and the watch. The way it's shot and edited, like really is built for the turn that the story takes. And it's so weird because between edits, Walken's performance compl- and tone completely changes but because he starts telling him the story and then he's, as he's getting more, like it's more heartfelt, like the camera's closer, you got a closer angle on walking and he's more intense in the lower voice. And he's like, you know, and, and your father and this and that, and this and that, and blah, 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 and this and that. And then when it makes the flip to where he's just like talking about hiding the watch, watch in his rear and then throwing racial slurs about, uh, <laughs> right about the other people that they were fighting against. The Vietnamese? Yes. The camera, I noticed, hard cuts out to like a front-on shot, kind of, kind of like the shot earlier, only earlier, walk-in when he was talking to the kid, was looking off camera as if he was talking off to the cam- kid. On the close-up, he's still looking off camera as he's talking to the kid. But then once it, like, the once the story gets to the punchline, like, it's going to take intentionally take this weird twist into this weird racist super uncomfortable thing about the watch and all this walking, staring at the camera and his like voice is like jumped back up like an octave at least. 
and the delivery's co- like well it's still walking but like the tone's totally different it's like beyond just the performance the way it's edited is intentionally like jarring and kind of disjointed from the earlier part of the story and i thought that was kind of interesting but it is all there the whole scene other than to like give bruce willis the little motivation to go back and get wrangled into this situation with the watch it's just there for the tw- the punchline yeah <laughs> the whole scene yep interesting thing and uh I don't know if you guys have trivia on this one, but uh, I believe this is where uh, Deer Hunter becomes a an influence or an Easter egg because uh, that's that's exactly what uh, Chris Watkins' character played in Deer Hunter was a POW in in a Viet I believe it was Vietnam. Yeah, I believe that so. seems like the right time period. Yeah. So I mean, like that's a direct callback to another movie that that Tarantino liked or mo- or loved. So that's interesting. I never made that connection. I mean, it's a bizarre one because it's obviously not the same character, but it's a direct callback to something that uh, Chris Walken was well known for and that that influenced him. That was almost the other movie we were going to pair with Pulp Fiction based on your recommendation, Jesse. On, right. But I'm know. glad we went this way because I have a much more fun uh, cinematic universe because of it. <laughs> Well, I think we all had a much more fun viewing experience because of it. Deer Hunter is not a fun movie. No, no, it's not. It although, a, although I do think it's a movie that if uh, Jasper hasn't seen it at some point, I, I recommend watching it once mm-hmm. and probably yeah, only once. <laughs> it's it's not happy. It's depressing, but it's good. Yeah, Tarantino. He kind of seems like a like something like Pulp Fiction. It seems like he come up with a series of just like outrageous scenes. You know. The pawn shop scene, the adrenaline shot scene, yeah, the car scene with Marvin, the just a series of outrageous scenes, but he's able to connect them all, and that makes it interesting. I guess one thing that I was thinking about watching this again, like Reservoir Dogs, they're all despicable characters, and it's definitely, especially during like you know Travolta buys the drugs and then he then he shoots up, and you've got the like stylized close-up of the needle and all this and the music. And I'm like, wow, this is really dwelling on like the seedy side of things. But then I was like, well, of course it is. It's Pulp Fiction. That's what it's about. That's the purpose of it. It's all about, like they even have the definition of pulp at the beginning of the movie. It's, you know, they're stories that focused on lurid subject matter. Right. And I was like, yeah, no, that's, that's totally, that is this movie. This this kind of continues the tradition of like maybe this will be that's what it'll, this season will be it'll be uh, Jasper will be just dis- discovering a lot of these Tarantino movies but for most part it'll be us discovering whatever movie we connect to it and then praising Tarantino's rant whatever <laughs> directing it whatever other movie well it's it's going to be a series of seesaw discussions about how much we love it and should we should we love it. <laughs> we really yeah problematic scenes problematic uh dialogue pulp fiction definitely continues the problem of like it's hard to find likable characters there are most of them aren't supposed to be likable but even if they were everyone's super racist and it's not just saying ra- racial slurs it's the context it's like yeah that's proper racism what was it? in uh, context <laughs> 
what is it? Uh, Bruce Willis's character straight up calls his uh, his his girlfriend a mongoloid. Yeah, and, and drops you know drops the other. What was her name? Yeah, what was her name? Butch. I don't know, but she want she, she wants a pot. A pot, a pot belly. Yeah, she's such a strange character too. Oh yeah, he drops you know. Yeah, the R. Which I mean, at least she doesn't stand for that. I mean, you know, we, we hit this the racism. I you know, like there's an interesting gender stereotypes in this too. You know, like it's it's got some moments that are pretty sexist. When you think about that whole conversation about uh Uma Thurman's character before we even meet her. But it's I mean it's interesting because it turns it turns it on its ear pretty quickly. Well, she like in that one scene, I mean kind of what it feels like you're saying because she her character is introduced through Jules and Vincent talking about the big man's wife. Yeah, yeah, and she uh, she's what, the big what, man's what, wife. You what don't is and isn't the... uh, appropriate. You know, like a foot massage is a big deal. <laughs> yeah, but then we do eventually. Like she's not just like kind of a prop in the story. She, she's a character. Yeah, she's got agency. In fact, she's in more control than Vincent is by far. Like she she is her own person. She knows where she stands and she tells you, she tells you where she stands. Like you think mm-hmm. that my husband threw someone out of a four story window because of a foot massage. <laughs> when you little scamps get together, it's worse than a sewing. Circle. Yeah. 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 I don't, I don't know. I don't know. It's weird. It's all over the place because then you've got, yeah, you've got Butch's lady friend and that's a totally different situation. It's so hard to approach Tarantino movies in that respect. Yeah. At least, especially these early movies where it's like, well, they're all despicable. They say horrible things, but like they're all despicable characters. They're all based on irreprehensible uh, criminals from 70s exploitation movies and 30s, 40s pulp novels. Like, no, they're all terrible characters. They're all bad people. But then it's like, how far can you, I don't know. Use that as a defense. Jasper, how far? A football field. Huh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> a whole football field. Okay. I have a feeling I know across the board star ratings on this. Is there anything else you guys want to add before star ratings? I guess we always do a little wrap up. I don't know. Yeah. Nope. I don't know what I would say. I seen I seen your star rating on Letterbox Jasper. No, you can't I'm change not it. Not saying mine. Yes. Oh, you're calling Jesse's. Okay. In that case, Jesse, what's your star rating, and what are your final thoughts and star I rating mean, on Pulp if, Fiction? If y'all haven't, uh, discer- you know, process of elimination discerned my rating by now. It's uh, I'm going to give this thing a five because it's it takes it takes everything that I like love about uh, true romance builds on it builds on everything that he learned about uh filmmaking and reservoir dogs and i mean hot take he could have stopped making movies after pulp fiction and this thing uh he could still be living high off the hog on this thing i think it's a masterpiece Mm -hmm. i'd give it a five nice i feel like this i mean i've been trying to come up with a better um comparison but this is like his thriller you know 
<laughs> yeah, no, yeah, I got it. I mean, he's done well. I mean, he's continued to do incredible things since, but I think everything is going to get compared to Pulp Fiction. That's a good point. Even now, like, how do you, you don't, how do you not? You don't top it. Pulp- you just continue to do things, you know, that break ground, Even if you can manage to, like, put together a movie that in some way, like, if you look at it, you break it down, like, execution, uh, story, like, you're just like, yeah, maybe that's a better movie. Pulp Fiction, just the cultural impact. Yeah. The impact on cinema. Jasper, what's your star rating on this bad boy? I went with a five out of five. Five out of five. Yeah. Um, I like, I kind of like right where this movie started where they're just kind of talking going down the hallway mm-hmm. and just kind of like the the feel of the movie. And then kind of when I sat back and watched it as like a piece of, of a cinema, yeah, I was very enjoying it. Like I said, Samuel, I like, I almost gave it a 4.5, but Samuel got me up to a five. Really? Yeah. He was known, but I mean, I think this is Samuel. This is Samuel L. Jackson. This is what I think. He's a, when he's a mushroom think, cloud laying, you know. The best, what are the best line, <laughs> MF-er, MF-er, <laughs> one of the best lines in yeah. anything ever. <laughs> oh, man. They're having that mushroom. conversation in the in the car with the cleaning in. <laughs> oh, my God. Mm-hmm. I Vince Vega was going to die right there. And that was after he already died. Yep. I'm giving this a five stars. Like I said, it made me wish I'd rated Reservoir Dogs slightly lower, like a 4.5, just because there needs to be room for Pulp Fiction above it. They're not on the same level. They're good. Like Reservoir Dogs is great. Pulp Fiction, you know, I would agree with what Jesse said. Like it takes like the best aspects of, you know, his writing in true romance and what he and like everything in reservoir dogs and just it's next level like combines it and improves on it in every way and the cinematography is amazing i had said i thought he had you know probably had quite a bit larger budget for pulp fiction after reservoir dogs Rewatching it and i could look at the hard numbers Rewatching it there's not without a doubt like the production is so good in this but yeah I agree with Jesse. It's a masterpiece. And I agree with both of you. It's five star. It's real good. This is, this will be the first ever uh, five star, five star, five star for sure. It's is it the first ever double five star from you I and Jasper? The, I don't think it's the first ever double five star. I'm trying to think of what else might have got something like Terminator, maybe or mm, something. Okay, Predator. Something like that might have got a double five star, but this is definitely the first five star three way. <laughs> Why do you get a funny face when I say it like that, Jasper? It just sounded wrong. You don't. You joined us in this five star three way. Five star crawlix. Did, did it sound so wrong, or did it sound so right? Ah oh, yeah. Oh. Oh yeah, baby. <laughs> That sounded like it was supposed to be low, but wasn't. <laughs> oh, yeah, baby. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we had some Barry White in here. Did you know Steve Buscemi is Buddy Holly in this thing? Oh, that's it. That's the thing I wanted to mention. Not until this rewatch. And 
you could barely see his face, but that's the voice gives him away. The voice gave. I didn't get it until right after he left. He left the. Uh huh. I was like, was that Buscemi? Like, <laughs> I I never I never noticed that before. Till this rewatch, why it's so funny? Like it's just like. You literally like can't hardly see his face. Like he, you see his face a little bit, but most of the shots you can't really see him clearly. It's it's very interesting. I guess it's probably like, well, I like the Steve Buscemi guy, but I don't really have a role for him. Hey, could you want to play Buddy Holly? <laughs> you want to be Buddy Holly? <laughs> want to be Buddy Holly waiter? <laughs> you want to? Hey, you want to be Jerry Lewis? And, and you could be Dean Martin. They have all these like named actors as other people. When they walk into Jackrabbit Slims, Jackrabbit Slims, the beginning of that scene, there's two things that bug me to no end. The square. Oh. It's not a, it's a rectangle. It's clearly a rectangle. Well, it's the only time you see anything like that in the whole movie. But, I mean, it's interesting, but it's also like, what? Uh, yeah, I mean, it used to bug me a little bit because I'm like, why did, why was that, did that even happen? I kind of like the idea of it now. And I get that they're just tracing the shape she made, which was not really a square but it annoys me that it's supposed to be square and it's like double wide rectangle it bugs me right and then travolta's acting a little bit as they're walking through and he's like looking at the all the impersonator he keeps pointing at him it's like oh huh yeah aren't you supposed to be oh are you oh and he keeps pointing at him like stop it travolta stop pointing at him we get it (laughs) you're looking at the people who are Dressed up as other people. Just stop. Yeah, the camera is pointing us that direction. You didn't need to. Yeah. That's it. That's my only gripe. That was my, those are my gripes. That, that square threw me off for the rectangle. It's a rectangle. It drives me crazy. <laughs> <laughs> hey, gentlemen. The movie studios managed to get a hold of the Miramax properties for real cheap for some reason. Kind of a fire sale deal, I think. <laughs> and they acquired a whole bunch of the scripts and the rights to the original characters to True Romance and Pulp Fiction. How would you combine True Romance and Pulp Fiction into one cinematic universe? Well, Judge. I feel like my well, Judge Dread. I, I was going to say <laughs> my movie. Let me tell you how my <laughs> my movie voice has changed this season. I don't know. What I, it is. I was going to say. I think uh, I think you did slip into Dread on that one. <laughs> little vocal hey citizens <laughs> criminals where are they <laughs> okay sorry go ahead Jesse and I will I will visit on them terrible vengeance called the law <laughs> I want to hear Dread do the jewel speech right alright you guys are you ready for this because I I did I looked at a bunch and, and like my my go to right off the bat was I was like oh Christopher Watkins in both of these. Boom. We get the story of that character because it's the same guy, right? But I was like, no, that's too easy. That That's that's the obvious Jesse hook. And I never go. It's the obvious I, Jesse I hook. I never go the obvious route. So, gentlemen, you, I don't know if you're ready for this. I wasn't ready for this. Oh, oh okay, God. my movie, my movie that combines these two, uh, these two properties. This is like the complete look to the left type of uh, franchise here. The movie is called Elliot and Lance Cocaine College. 
Now, let me let me remind you who Elliot and Lance are. Okay. Okay, Lance is Eric Stoltz. He's he's uh he's Vegas hookup guy. He's the heroin pusher, right? That super chill, almost dude-esque guy that just basically has a lifestyle business of uh, you know, creating experiences in her- <laughs> in heroin because cocaine is out. Right, so you got that guy. Uh-huh. You got that guy, and then you got Bron- Bronson Pinchot. You got Balky Balky Bartakamus. That's Elliot, Elliot Blitzer from True Romance, and they're both they're both the drug guys, right? Two totally two totally different worlds, right? Except <laughs> when they were in college together. So Elliot and Lance, they're college buddies. Uh, I was trying to figure out like when to set this and I'm thinking it's got to be set in the actual 70s. So maybe towards the end of the 70s, they're in college, right? And they start out as a couple of stoner buddies, right? That eventually start making money as pushers. But eventually you're like, that is so lucrative that they just drop out and they exclusively just start dealing. Right. So you can see where it's like kind of a rise and fall type of story until things go South and Elliot, he wants to go big. I mean, he's that guy, right? He wants to deal to the elites, the Hollywood types, right? Uh, you, so you're looking at like athletes, like the football players. He wants to get them their, their fixes while Lance, he wants to deal in an experience, man, like a lifestyle type of thing. (laughs) He's got this very homey vibe, right? He wants to set the scene, which causes them to eventually go their separate ways and become in direct competition with each other. And then it's off to the races. It's like cupcake wars, but with cocaine. They they also have a shared love interest in Lance's future wife, whatever her name was, uh, which spoilers, Lance wins her over <laughs> in the end, but uh, not before having, they have eventually like things go so bad, things just continue to escalate like, you know, like they do in the movies to the point where they finally, they just have to fake their own deaths. So to this day, Elliot Blitzer blames himself. For the fake death of Lance. Nah, not nah, Elliot Blitzer's a tool. He doesn't care. But he doesn't but care. the fake death could only have been pulled off. It could have only worked if they involved the wolf. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I love that they would have the connect well, I guess if they're do you know, drug dealers, I suppose they would have the connections. Yep. Oh, Eventually, they, you know, Lance, Lance and his w- future wife, they, they just want out, man. They just want to create kind of a lifestyle business of of pushing heroin because cocaine's apparently out. Um, <laughs> and so they is that yeah. No, I was gonna the, say is that that's that's the that's how there's their resolution is they have to they have to fake their own deaths, man, and and they bring in they they get the contact of of the wolf. And this would be the wolf in his early days, you know. So he's he's just getting started, but man, he's he's a prodigy. He knows. So it, I like to so I'm going to add on to that just a little bit where <laughs> that's that's why that you know, that's their split like that kind of is what soured uh, soured is it Lance was the heroin guy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's what that's, soured him that, on heroin. He's like, yeah, that that the, or that that cocaine that'll ruin your life. 
It's out, man. Yeah, exactly. He's like, that's that's why cocaine's deader than dead. And he's got a little yeah. bit of that weird elitist vibe. It's like you could almost see uh, those two characters as being friends, but not really. <laughs> not ever really getting along, but like you could see them having some similar traits. That's how Lance met uh, Alabama's sister. Yeah. Because yeah. that's an Arquette. Oh, that's right. That's right. Oh, it's even more perfect than I anticipated. Yep. <laughs> I like it, dude. That was great. I would never, <laughs> I would never have thought to combine those two, but you know what? It works so well. Those are, those are two of the more plausible characters. And I want, like, I want almost like a Van Wilder or like a Harold and Kumar type of poster where it's just like them standing back to back staring out. And it's like a, like a, a college. It's I'm I'm seeing a white movie poster, you know, like you often saw back then, and it's just got like a, a college scene behind them, and it just looks like your typical college movie, just hijinks, but it's like totally this uh, this whole drug rise and fall, you know, till everything falls apart type of movie. Uh huh. I I think it's great, and you know, left field, but not as left field. As if I remember correctly, your uh, deadly bees or your <laughs> that's, ants. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Um, Jasper, are, do you feel ready yet or do you want me to go? You, you can go because I. Okay. So here's the connection I'm going to make. Although no matter who's like, no matter which universe we go. You know what? We could combine them all. Easily. We, we do have to do. We do have to do the wolves. Uh, early days that's a whole series oh yeah he's like he's the next james bond but so my connection is you didn't know it because they had to recast them and they made some interesting cast casting decisions but i'm gonna say pulp fiction actually is a direct continuation of true romance it opened with two characters who were not credited as such because maybe there's some tricky issues with the character rights. But uh, I'm going to say, even though they're recast and nationalities have changed, <laughs> the movie Pulp Fiction actually opens with Alabama. And what's it, what's Christian Slater's character's name? Clarence. Clarence. That's Honey Bunny. Oh, and, yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's even got the, uh, the Hawaiian shirt. Yeah. So I'm going to say, that's it. Like... My cinematic universe universe follows them after, and you you know, maybe maybe they end up on a tropical island sometime. But there was a whole bunch of like Bonnie and Clyde style Robin and adventuring until they had a fateful meeting with a certain hitman in a cafe, <laughs> and that's what sent them if, on their way to to live out the rest of their lives and. <laughs> Yep, and have a kid, settle down, have a kid uh, in the tropics, and uh, yep. <laughs> All right. You know, t- time, is time has not been kind to Christian Slater if he turns into Tim Roth. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Or, you know, no offense, but or uh, Alabama's oh, character. Yeah, Whoa, yeah, she no went doubt. through a transformation. <laughs> I, I got to pee. I want to go home. <laughs> It's such a it's such a left turn for those characters. It is. Oh uh, yeah, I'm sorry that was short, but that's that's the only thing I had in that's my head. Pretty, like, I, I kind of like me. that. That's funny. 
all, and I was trying to work Samuel L. Jackson's characters together, but I definitely don't see uh, Jules leaving Pulp Fiction and then going like and becoming his character no, in true oh romance. God, no, or or maybe it, maybe the other way around. Except, doesn't he die or something in that interchange? Maybe we'll say he survived the shotgun blasts uh-huh. and uh, decided. I'm just gonna run hit. I'm just gonna do Hitman stuff. Here. I'm, j- I'm just gonna grow the fro big time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Start reading the Bible. And, well, you know, I could see him having an about face. You know, having a moment of clarity, if you will. Mm-hmm. He, he had a couple of moment of clarities. One was to get out of that whole racket, and then the next one was at the end of the movie. How about you, Jasper? My thing was I was just trying to get the uh, the briefcase to be the drugs in. Oh, I see what you're saying. The briefcase is basically the suitcase or whatever from True Romance. Yeah, and then that was going to be their their associate was going to be Walken's boss. That or their excuse me. You, we never see Walken's boss in True Romance, do we? No, True Romance, yeah. do we? It's going to be Ving Rhames. Oh, interesting. Ving Rhames, but I couldn't get it to mesh. Mesh. So you grind it to fit, paint it to match. Is that what they say? Beat it to fit, paint <laughs> it to so. match? Something. Yeah. I think it's beat it to fit. Yep. Christian Slater turned into Tim Roth, so <laughs> it happens. It happens. <laughs> you didn't know Marcellus's Wallace's last name was Blue? <laughs> Isn't that what they called him, Mr. Blue or something? Oh, man, we should do romance, True Romance and... Uh, Reservoir oh, Dogs, yeah, that been, Mr. Blue. That been good. <laughs> and, uh, you know, then then there wouldn't have been the uh, the debatable, uh, is it, isn't it a crime to shoot a horse? Oh, I can't <laughs> believe you you waited this whole time. <laughs> oh, I've been sitting on it. This. <laughs> he's, dude, he's plot. I know it. He's plotting for. He's plotting stuff out for movies we're covering in like eight episodes from now. <laughs> uh, funny. Tarantino has done westerns. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a biggest crime uh, as killing someone as to kill a horse. Maybe not now, but dude, they'd hang you back in the day for even stealing a horse. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's true. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you got me there. Oh, I did want to touch on because I don't know how obvious it goes the further into Tarantino's movies we go. But definitely for sure confirmed Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction. Well, I mean, I think people have said all of his movies take place in the same universe, but Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction, it's very obvious because uh, Vincent Vega in this, John Travolta's character, is the cousin of. Mr. Blonde, who was something Vega. Oh. But they were both, they were the Vega. Well, yeah, maybe they actually c- wanted to do a movie. With cousins that, or brothers or something? Madsen's character, who, who's Mr. Blonde? Yes. Yeah. Oh, okay. Dang. Well, I mean, Travolta's, that, that would explain why Travolta's a little bit sociopathic. That is one of the few, like, actual kind of sequel, sequel type things I think Tarantino's probably actually seriously contemplated, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Aside from the obvious one, which is Kill Bill, which is just two movies that are actually one. Well, 
Jesse. Yeah. Thank you for joining us on this GCU. Thank you guys for uh, we having do me. Plan, we do plan on having you join us again for more Tarantino goodness sometime this season. Tarantino. Tarantino. Tarantino yes. goodness. Tarantino, sir. Hashtag. <laughs> You're right. I haven't been... I have been hashtagging it, but I haven't been pushing it very hard. I need to. Yeah, hashtag Tarantino. Tar- hashtag Tarantino. Lithuania. <laughs> Lithuania. 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 Hashtag Lithuania. Hashtag Tarantino. Hashtag 147. 147. Is that, is that where we're at? I think it was 148. We had gotten up there. No, we dropped down into 200 and something. Son of a... <laughs> You're slacking, Lithuanians. <laughs> Now's your chance, Slovakia. Now's your chance. You guys, if you guys want to bankroll my new movie, Elliot and Lance, Cocaine College. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I just want to see more Eric Stoltz movies. That's all. I agree. I like He's Eric a, Stoltz. He's a delight. Do you want to go to watch Cocaine College today? <laughs> <laughs> For real, yeah. Where can we find you? Well, you guys can find me at grogspodcast.com. Uh, you can also see some of my crazy gameplay videos on youtube.com slash Grolix podcast. And you can find me on the Twitters at Jesse Kiefer. That's J-E-S-S-E-K-I-E-F-E-R. He's got his own rhythm to it. It's good. Well, I've been Randy and you can follow me on Twitter at Randall Silvey. It's R-A-N-D-A-L-S-I-L-V-E-Y. Also, Follow Grolix Podcast on Twitter at Grolix Podcast. It's G-R-A-W-L-I-X Podcast. I almost did .com for some reason. L-I-X Podcast. Or go to GrolixPodcast.com or follow at GCU Podcast on Twitter. Or go to GrolixPodcast.com where we are also at. Yeah. RandallSylvie.com. Pod edit. Jesper's looking at me, so we're just going to keep going. (laughs) You want me to get, uh, you want me to do them all? I'll do them all. We're on mix. Oh god, we'll be here all night. <laughs> we, yeah, we're everywhere, all the time. No, for the most we part, we need to make like a, our own directories page of just it's just grolics.com and then just all of our. I was to say, don't, don't you already kind of have that for our pimpage page? Yep, I got it all. Jasper, how about you, sir? On Twitter at Garanzo Media, which is K O. R-A-N-S-O media dot com. <laughs> you better snatch that. Or uh, actually, I'm going to start getting back on Mixer, which is Mixer.com slash Coranzo. You streaming some gameplay? Some gameplay. What have you been playing lately? What? What have you been playing lately? Anything? Uh, Anthem. Been playing a little game called Anthem. Never heard of it. Going to finally get on the uh, Grolux tubes there. Yes. Yeah. Playing some Dead Space. Oh, um, nice. And probably Fallout. Another one. You playing Fallout? What Fallout? Three. I'm going to go through three and four. Not 76, because that game apparently sucks. What about New Vegas? That's basically... Three and a half. 3.5. Well, I mean, it's vast. It's way different. But it's between... In terms of release between three. Yeah, Yeah, and then I was thinking maybe uh, Borderlands, but I'm not too sure yet. Ooh, I could get on board with that. Thank you.